Hello, you're listening to Wait, How Do You Spell That? A Rare Disease Podcast. My name is Colby, and I'm the content manager here at Patient Worthy. We've got a great show today, and I'm very excited to hop right in and talk to our guest. His name is Tom Seaman, and he's a life coach, author, and longtime Patient Worthy contributor. Some of you may be familiar with his work since he's been writing for us since 2015. And he's here today to talk about his own journey through diagnosis and adaptation, as well as his work as a life coach and author. Tom, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me, Colby. I really appreciate it. Uh, We're glad to have you on as well. And I I know some of our listeners are probably familiar with your work as well. So it's really nice to have a voice put to the words. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. This is a neat experience. All right, then. Uh, Well, to start off with, maybe you can give us a little background about yourself. Sure. Um, As you said, I'm I'm a a life coach, but it it took a while for me to get to that point. Um, Graduated college back in 94 in psychology and education but didn't actually get into teaching, which was my original plan. I got involved with a patient education company. So I was still in the education area, but it wasn't actually uh, focused on teaching in schools. Did that for about six years. And I really wanted to get back to working with, with children in particular. And so I decided to go back to grad school to become a, uh, a counselor without really knowing what I was going to do with that degree, either school counseling or opening up my private practice and being a counselor, which actually was eventually what my plan was going to be. And that unfortunately was sidetracked. Well, sidetracked would be the understatement, I should say, because I developed a very severe case of a condition called dystonia, which totally turned my life upside down. And that that is something I developed in 2001 and I've had now for the past 20 years. Because of the severity of my symptoms, I had to quit school, quit working, quit pretty much everything because the severity of my symptoms were such that I pretty much lived on my floor all day long where I was in pain that I've never experienced in my life or knew even existed and I could not function. And so I pretty much gave up everything. Since then, I've been on a different journey than I ever thought I would be. For those who aren't familiar with dystonia, can you tell us a little about that condition and what your journey has been like? Sure. Yes. Dystonia is a neurological movement disorder where muscles involuntarily contract, which causes a lot of pain. For for a lot of people, it causes the body to move in awkward positions. So in my case, it affects my neck. So it's called cervical dystonia. And when it was at its worst, my neck was involuntarily being pulled to the right, turned to the right, and also leaning towards my right shoulder. And my muscles were very, very pronounced. And the pain was, as I mentioned previously, was insurmountable. Um, But again, it can affect any part of the body. It typically causes a lot of pain. For some people, they don't have a lot of pain, but they have the muscle movements, the involuntary movements. For some people, there's a tremor. For some people, there's a combination of everything that I mentioned. It's a, it's a very, it's a, it's a highly variable condition and that it's hard to, it's hard to find two people with the exact same symptoms. Going back to saying it's a movement disorder, a lot of people are familiar with Parkinson's or essential tremor, which are the the two more common um, movement disorders, dystonia being the third most common. Mm -hmm. Not not a whole lot is known about it. So we're trying to do a lot to to educate and a lot of awareness activities to, to hopefully improve upon that to help those who are suffering with it that have no idea that they actually have it. We have opposing muscles in the body. So we can take our bicep and our tricep muscle in the arm. If you flex your bicep muscle, your tricep muscle relaxes. In order to extend your arm, you have to relax your bicep muscle and engage your tricep muscle. What happens in dystonia is the, the two muscles, the opposing muscles, they co-contract, which leaves a person stuck in that position oftentimes. 
And when they try and move, it just creates more pain and, and shaking and tremoring and, uh, and additional uh, symptoms. You actually published a book about your experiences uh, living with this condition in 2015 called Diagnosis Dystonia, Navigating the Journey. Uh, could you tell us about the decision to write a book and what you were hoping readers would take away from it? After my diagnosis, which took, thankfully for me, it took less than a year. For a lot of people, it takes upwards of a year. I know people that it's taken 20 years and more to sometimes get diagnosed, which is why it's so important to educate people about this. I went to numerous doctors and tried to, uh, to first figure out what it was. And I found actually it was a self-diagnosis. So I, was, I searched the internet and I found um, dystonia. And then I finally got a, a diagnosis, an official diagnosis from a, a neurologist that specializes in movement disorders. But my symptoms were so bad that I, as I was saying before, I, I could not function. So for the first year, I tried a lot of different things and I saw some minor improvement, but it really wasn't enough where my impatient self couldn't, uh, I just couldn't take it. So I began to actually medicate myself with alcohol because I found alcohol to actually be something that calmed down the muscles and relaxed my body enough where I could function a little bit. So the treatments I was using... Um, I, I kind of replaced with a really horrible diet and alcohol to medicate myself. And I fell into a, into a very, very deep pit of depression. And I was dealing with severe anxiety, severe fear and, and loneliness and isolation. And I actually, um, as a result of that lifestyle for about five years, when I lived that, that way, I gained 150 pounds. I reached a point where I was feeling like I was dying. And it was, it was not only from, the, from dystonia, and I want to clarify that dystonia is not something that will kill someone. It's not a deadly progressive disease that'll, that'll, that'll kill someone. But I felt like because of the way I was living my life, I was just dying on the inside emotionally and by virtue of the lifestyle I was living. And I reached a point where I knew I had to do something. And I actually had this situation where I developed this horrible, horrible stomach virus where I was stuck in bed for about 10 days to two weeks. Couldn't really eat all the junk I was eating. Um, all that comfort food. I couldn't drink. And I laid there in bed pretty much with my thoughts. And I said, I've got to do something. Either I'm going to continue with my ways when I get healthy again, or I'm going to make some changes. And I said, I've got to, you know, I, I, I love life. And, and even though it stinks right now, I, I, I want to try and live again. And so when I got healthy, I devoted myself to pure health. So I began to eat real well. I began to, to walk a little bit every day to try and lose some of the weight, which I eventually lost 150 pounds in 10 months. So the weight just dripped off me by virtue of changing that lifestyle. And I also began to focus a lot on my dystonia symptoms to try and improve upon those. And I really dedicated myself to, a, to, to the various treatments I was using at the time while I was taking oral medication to relax my muscles, as well as a movement therapy type program. So very unique stretches, exercises, massage therapy, mindfulness type behavior activities and things. Uh, working on the anxiety and the depression. Uh, it was a multifaceted approach that I took to try and manage my symptoms. I gained about, a, I'd say about 75% improvement going back to roughly 2007. So I was just elated at the change that I had. And so I, I contacted a friend of mine who worked for a dystonia organization to share with him. I hadn't been in touch with him in many years just to share with him how I'd been doing. And he said, hey, would you mind writing a, you know, writing a little story for my, for my magazine? And I did that and the response was overwhelming. And so I pretty much then began to spend my days answering emails and I made connections and, and friendships with people all over the world who read this story, who were going through so many different things. And then I began to help certain people uh, individually 
And I found that I was actually doing life coaching, but didn't even know what life coaching was until someone said, hey, you should become a life coach. And I said, well, what are you talking about? Well, you're helping people every day with their lives and what they're going through and giving them tools and strategies for how to improve various aspects of their lives. And so um, I began to look into that and I thought, this is very much like the counseling program I was taking when I first got sick. And I thought, hey, this is really cool. So I, I, I spent two years studying to become a life coach with the goal to work with people that have dystonia, uh, as well as other health conditions. And I've been doing that since 2013. And that has been such an amazing experience for me. The problem for me early on and all the way through to 2013, after finishing this coaching program and starting that practice up a little bit, there was still such a void of information out there about dystonia. And I wanted to put together something. uh, Originally, the thought was a website, a website that had information, kind of a one-stop shopping center for all important information for this particular condition. And I did that. And then I said, you know, I really want to write something. I'm not sure what, but I I want to put together a book. So I started and stopped about 10 or 15 times. And a, a good friend of mine said, you know what? I have so many emails you sent me that you could just look at those emails and reorganize it and it would turn into a book. And so I began to look at it from that perspective and I, and I took some of those things and I reorganized things. And before I knew it, I had like 120 pages of this book. All of a sudden, 2015, boom, I published this book that has all this information about not only just these physical symptoms of dystonia, but all about the emotional aspects of it, the depression, the anxiety, uh, not just what I went through, that's shared throughout the book, of course, but it's just how to deal with with living with this condition in all aspects from your social life to your vocational life to your, um, your relationships. And then, you know, providing tips and tricks for how to do various daily activities a little more easily, because when you have a movement disorder, it reduces your body's ability to move in certain ways and, and range of motion, et cetera. So I include a lot of information about how to go about doing those things. I include a lot of testimonials from other patients about various things that they have been doing for with with treatments, um, how they handle stress and anxiety and isolation and all sorts of things. And so I just felt that there had to be something out there because there was no book written. And I bought every single book on the market when I first was diagnosed to learn as much as I could. There was not a single new book from that point forward until my book was published that I'm aware of, maybe one or two, but they weren't anything like the one I put together, which you know, which is extremely comprehensive. And I just knew that this had to get out there and I couldn't believe I did it, but I'm, I'm so glad that I did. So it was a kind of a compilation of everything I'd learned up to that point. Yeah. You've written about dystonia for patientworthy.com uh, several times. I believe your first article was back in 2015. And I know mm-hmm. that the, the response to that uh, from our readers ha- has been great. You know, I feel like right. even if it wasn't what you were initially intending uh, for teaching people, you are helping to teach people now, which I think is great. Yeah, it's really exciting. It's 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 an interesting, it's a very surreal kind of a thing to I'm very vulnerable with in the way that I write and I share as much as I can in as much detail as possible because I know people are going through so many of the same things, but there's a lot of shame and embarrassment and discomfort around these subjects and I want to let people know that they're not alone. And I try and provide all that information in the books as well as in my articles. So they, they know that there's somebody else out there who gets it and that, that it's okay to not be okay. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what a lot of my messages are. Right. But here's a way to, to, to get better a little bit as well. 
here are some strategies as well. So I try and include all that information in, in everything I do. Yeah. And you mentioned you've been a life coach for almost 10 years now, and you specialize in helping people manage the challenges of living with chronic conditions. Uh, can you tell us about some of your work there? Yeah. Um, I've, I've been really blessed to work with people in probably about 15 different countries right now. I'd say the majority of them do have dystonia, but I've also worked with people that have never even heard of dystonia, but were referred to me by, by friends of theirs because of the various topics that I discuss. You can take a life coach and they specialize in certain areas. And you may have, say, someone who works as a health coach, which is really kind of what I do. And you take a business coach, very different approach typically, because, you know, a business coach will kind of, you know, kind of, you know, often will restructure and change and help you get your business to grow. I do the same kind of thing in a different way. But when you're dealing with health issues, you're not just dealing with the condition itself. You're dealing with the entire person and the, and every single aspect of their lives. I was working with somebody who had some weight issues, tried every diet, every modification and lowering her cal, everything she could think of. She was trying, nothing was working. So we began to talk about other things that were, that were very stressful in her life. And those were the things that were contributing to her, her inability to lose weight because she was via her anxiety, stress, uh, and other types of things she was going through. She, was, she had a lot of inflammatory chemistry within her body. So she was chronically inflamed emotionally. And she was unable to be healthy as a result. And we began to address those things. And all of a sudden, the weight began to drip off her. And so it's really exciting when I talk to clients about various things. And the first thought is, well, we're going to talk about my particular condition. How do I live differently with this? And how do I, you know, what, what can I eat differently, for example, if you're losing weight? Or what exercises can I do? Or what doctor or treatment can I get? Or what medication is good for me, et cetera, et cetera. And then we get into relationships and we get into work and we get into uh, lifestyle factors and self-judgments and shame and all sorts of things that are these emotional things that weigh so much into the physical issues that are going on. People often ask me, well, tell me about your coaching program. I don't have a cookie cutter approach because I can't do that because everyone who I speak with is going to be different and their needs are going to be different. And every time we speak, it's going to be a different conversation. And we work towards certain goals, but you know, life happens and life gets real messy sometimes. And sometimes we need to, to address those things and clean those things up before we can actually, you know, so that they're not impacting their actual health condition, which is often why they, of course, contact me in the first place. So it's a very exciting experience to work with these different people that have a lot of different health issues uh, from around the world. It's really, really cool. And I have an excerpt from your book, Beyond Pain and Suffering, which was published okay. back in, in March of this year. And I'd actually like to read a short excerpt if you don't mind. Sure. To move beyond pain and suffering does not necessarily mean to be without pain and suffering. It means learning how to work with physical and or emotional pain so that we can keep it from being the most dominant force in our lives. The first step in getting beyond pain and suffering is to acknowledge that we are in pain and or struggling. We then need to understand why it causes us to suffer and learn how to implement strategies to minimize despair. As someone living with a chronic condition, why do you think that self-acknowledgement of pain and suffering is a good lesson to learn? If we go back to what I was saying earlier about when I was first diagnosed and symptoms that I had, I was just so severely depressed and angry and I was eating comfort foods and drinking to try and numb what I was feeling. So I was in this very dark hole. When I began to get better, I began my healing process. And I'm not fully healed. I want to clarify. I still have dystonia. I still have symptoms. I still have pain. I still have involuntary movements. I still have, they're, they're mild compared to what they were, but they, they can get pretty bad sometimes. But when it was really bad, 
I had to acknowledge the fact that I was in this dark hole because I was doing everything I possibly could to avoid it and deny it and ignore it. But it was there with me every single day. So I've used this, this, this phrase before. I had to first face it, to embrace it, to erase it. So I had to first acknowledge the fact that, okay, life sucks right now. I am nowhere where nowhere in my life where I want to be, where I thought I would be. I can't keep hiding and trying to run from that fact because it's going to keep following me wherever I go. So I have to acknowledge the fact that this is how it is. What one little step can I take right now towards some form of a meaningful life? Where can I go from, from here? So acknowledge the fact that you're there rather than ignore and run away from it. We can then think rationally. And see, I wasn't thinking rationally. I was very, I was very reactionary. I was having these visceral responses and reactions to my symptoms and my suffering that I was going through. So I had to learn to work on relaxing my mind so I could think with better clarity, with, with more clarity and make the decisions necessary. And for me, that was literally changing the way that I ate and start moving again and start focusing specifically on the programs that I knew and treatments and therapies and things that I knew would help me, at least give it a shot. I first had to acknowledge that I had to make that step. And as someone who has walked down this road of, of self-acknowledgement, uh, of changing behavior before, and as you say, continuing to walk down this road, what advice do you have for someone who is facing a new diagnosis for a chronic condition? The very first thing is to let yourself feel all of the feelings that you have, and there's nothing wrong with any of them, and let them come. Cleanse yourself of whatever emotions come with whatever you're going through. From there, I would then try and learn as much as possible about you know, what other health condition you're dealing with. Seek out sources of support and help, especially from other people that are going through the same thing, because oftentimes we know a lot more about it than our doctors do. Uh, nothing against doctors, but when you live with it 24-7, especially for years and years and years, you tend to kind of know a little bit more about the ins and outs and what helps and what doesn't help. And there are ways to, to live a fulfilling life and a healthy life, but that it, you need some help. And so, so find, out, find those people who have been there and who are still there and get that camaraderie and build those relationships with people. That is a huge, huge, huge thing. And that's something I didn't do. And when I began doing that, that's when a lot of things in my life changed. And that's one of the reasons I wrote this book, because I didn't want people going down those dark holes that I went down. Um, and if they're there, here are some tools to help you get out. You wrote an article for Patient Worthy back in April, uh, and it was about managing excessive worry and fear. Uh, I'd also like to read an excerpt from that if you don't mind. Sure, that'd be great. Because many people struggle with rationalizing fears that seem so real and powerful, we do a lot of over-worrying about too many things, which makes it so we can't enjoy ourselves. It's like being afraid of bridges and driving on a highway, knowing a bridge is coming up in 100 miles, and we worry the entire 100 miles for that momentary trip over the bridge. We miss everything along the way because we are so worried about that bridge. This is what happens in life. If we fear everything, we miss out on the richness of the many experiences all around us. I think in particular that resonated with me because I've been that person worrying about that bridge before. Mm -hmm. uh, well, mm -hmm. you know, not literally because I seem to handle bridges. Okay. But right, I right. was metaphorically, yeah. <laughs> right, metaphorically, but uh, I, I was diagnosed with an anxiety disorder back in 2015 that does stem from excessive worry about health. Um, you know, I was always kind of a worry wart, but the fear had grown to a point that I didn't even realize 
till it was pointed out to me that it was basically controlling my life. It kind of blew my mind at the time that my own mindset had changed to this sort of fight or flight fear mode, basically without me even noticing it. Um, can you talk about why fear has such a powerful effect on people and why rationalizing it for what it is, is often so challenging? There's a quote by a woman named Bonnie Pruden who says, fear is the enemy of mankind. It is like this monster inside of us that, that is so controlling. It's, it tricks us into thinking things that aren't really true or real. It changes it's, reality for us. It totally changes reality for us. Yes, exactly. It's perception, you know, is our reality. So how we perceive things. So like going back to the, the, the excerpt that you read about the bridge, the fear of that bridge, you know, hundred miles away, how is that rational? Um, that totally changes the reality of what our current moment is in the, in the vehicle that we're driving in and perhaps some beautiful scenery along the way. It just totally changes perception because all we can visualize at that moment is, is how we're going to feel when we go over the, over the bridge. And so fear is this monster inside of us that can control every aspect of how we think and how we feel. And it's the same thing with stress. We often don't feel a lot of the stress that we're going through until the stressors have been removed. And all of a sudden, well, I'm more relaxed. I can sleep better. I'm like, what happened? And all these, it happened to just be these, these, these kind of like hidden monster. It's like the gremlin after midnight. You don't feel the gremlin after midnight. Cause that's, that's, that's when the fear comes out. <laughs> that's, that's the kind of the gremlin inside of us. I'll give you an example that happened today with me with regard to this. So we're doing this podcast right now. And whenever I do these, I get so nervous and I'm less nervous now after doing them, you know, a few, a few of them, but I get nervous. I'm like, oh, am I going to sound okay? Am I going to be, oh, am I going to answer that question okay? Am I going to, oh, do I, you know, am I really going to represent my community well enough? Am I going to? And I hear myself back and I go, oh, geez, that's how I really sound. I said it like that. Oh, no, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so that was on my mind thinking about this upcoming, you know, conversation we we're going to have. And so I was, for the most part today, I was, you know, busy doing some things and I had to run out and do an errand before we got on the phone here today. And I ran into a, a, a friend of mine I hadn't seen in a long time. And I, and I had to run in real quick and grab something and go. And, and I said, wait a second, I've got five minutes because I was anxiously worried about not being here on time. And I was worried about what I was going to say. And am I prepared and everything? And I went, wait. And I stopped myself and I said, I have five minutes to literally talk to this wonderful, lovely lady that I've known for years. Stop pause, whatever word is good, breathe, relax, say hello and have a brief conversation and then go about your business and then come back. It totally calmed me down. I had to stop myself. I had to like literally say, Tom, stop. And I have a couple of little pictures around my house that, that have the word pause and breathe because a lot of times I get so worried and anxious and, 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 and fearful of certain things that I need reminders to pause, breathe, relax, then move forward. That one pause, that one deep breath, whatever it is, that decreases that fight or flight that you're talking about, which is, is part of the sympathetic nervous system. So when you're living in fear, you're, you're, you're typically what's called sympathetic dominant, meaning your sympathetic nervous system is overactive. And in order to disengage that, we have to engage the parasympathetic nervous system. And we do that. There's numerous ways to do that. But one of them is breathing. And so that one deep breath is something that can calm us. So, so when you're fearing, when you're feeling fearful, um, worried, and kind of like your the world is moving way much faster than you can keep up with, tell yourself stop, breathe, and literally, literally, literally do that. Pause and breathe, and see if that changes how you feel in the moment, and if it reduces some of that fear and worry and anxiety. One of my favorite quotes I've seen regarding this particular topic is 
worry is like being in a rocking chair. It keeps you busy, but it gets you nowhere. And, yeah. and lo and behold, too, after all that worry, you were on time and you brought exactly. a lot of great information to the podcast today. Well, I hope so. That's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was Mark Twain who said, who had another quote. He says, I've, I've lived a long life with many worries and fears, most of which never came true. Right. Right. You know, so can... every, everything has a way of working itself out, even if it's not exactly how we want it or like it. Everything works out. We, we, we realize I'm worried about things that I shouldn't be. We realize it after the fact. But if we reflect upon the numerous times that we worried and we realize there was no reason to worry, maybe that can provide us with the confidence the next time we feel worried and say, hey, wait a second, this is going to work out. It might be tough. It might not be exactly the way it want to be, but it's going to work out. So use past experiences as well as a very good technique. And if people would like to learn more about your work as a life coach or about one of your books, where can they go to do that? Uh, the best place is my website, which is tomsamen.com. Um, I've got all the information about my coaching there, all the articles I've written. Uh, I've got videos. Um, I've got all my blogs there. I've got my books available there as well. A lot of resources for dealing with um, dystonia in particular, um, but a lot of other health issues as well. You can also, for my books, if you prefer, you can get them on Amazon as well. So that's TomSeaman.com. Okay. Well, Tom, I'd like to thank you for coming on the show today. Uh, I'm so sorry it took us so long to book you as a guest. <laughs> uh, well, and I'm glad we did. It's great. And I want to thank you for allowing me to have this platform that you provide in Patient Worthy to, to share a lot of my experiences and a lot of the things that I want to help other people with as well. And you guys provide for people that are listening and don't know, Patient Worthy provides uh, so much information about so many different health challenges and struggles that people are going through in life. And um, if, if you're looking for some help, they have some great resources. And of course, I'm sure if you don't mind me pitching you guys, if please you go have ahead. something to share, please send a story or article into Patient Worthy and they'll publish it. And uh, you'll be helping other people as well. And that's a big part of your healing is to help others. Well, thank you for that. And I, and I know we'd love to have you on again on the podcast in the future. Definitely. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And once again, if you'd like to learn more about Tom's new book or his work as a life coach, uh, his new book is called Beyond Pain and Suffering, Adapting to Adversity and Life Challenges. Uh, you can check that out at TomSeaman.com. That's T-O-M-S-E-A-M-A-N.com. And we'll leave a link to that website in the show notes for this episode. And if you'd like to keep up with the latest in rare disease news, remember to visit patientworthy.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching for patientworthy on those platforms. A big shout out to the listeners who have been leaving reviews on their favorite podcasting platforms. It may seem like a small thing, but it really does help the podcast grow. And if you'd like to let us know what you think of the show, or if you have any ideas for upcoming episodes, or as Tom said, if you'd like to submit uh, a personal story, you can always drop me a line at colby at patientworthy.com. That does it for today's episode. And as always, thank you for listening. 